Now, I just have to say that I love the Christmas season. I have ever since I was a child. In fact, I think you can uh, actually, in some ways, plot life according to Christmas. You see, the first stage of life is when you believe in Santa Claus. And the second stage of life is when you don't believe in Santa Claus. The third stage of life is when you are Santa Claus. And the fourth stage of life is when you began to look like Santa Claus. A lot of you are in that fourth stage, I can tell. I have loved Christmas ever since the first stage. And I tell you why, because when you're a kid, all these people walk up to you and say, what do you want for Christmas? And so as a child, I loved Christmas because I had a big wish list. And I had all these people who wanted to take care of my wish list. But have you noticed that your perspective on Christmas changes as you get older? Because now I don't think about my wish list. I think about my with list. I remember just after we married that my uh, grandmother would say, starting about July, are you and Jamie coming for Christmas? And she would, with every phone call or every contact, are you going to be here for Christmas? And I didn't completely understand then what I understand now. That her greatest passion was not for gifts. She could care less if she got anything. What she wanted most was all of her family back at her table. She wanted the people she wanted to spend Christmas with. And that's where I'm getting. I haven't given any thought to how much I have spent for Christmas. I give no thought to how much someone might spend on me. I don't even care where I spend Christmas. What I care about is who I get to spend Christmas with. Or, in some cases, who I don't get to spend Christmas with. And I think that's very biblical. Because when you consider the name given to Jesus at His birth, the Scripture says in Matthew 1.23 that the virgin will be with child and she'll give birth to a son and they'll call Him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, I contend that Christmas ought to encourage withful thinking. Because human beings have a strong with need. People who need people aren't just the luckiest people in the world. People who need people are the only kind of people there are in the world. I remember some years ago reading in Reader's Digest about a woman named Linda. She was going on her first important business trip. She was told, go to baggage claim, get your luggage. Someone will be waiting to take you to your hotel for the conference. So she gets her bags and she waits and the area clears out and there's just one man left standing there. So she walks up to him and says, excuse me, are you looking for a woman named Linda? His eyes got big, smile got wide. He put his arms around her, gave her a big hug. He kissed her and stepped back and said, no. And the point of the story is... (laughs) 
We were made to need to give hugs and to get hugs because we have a strong with need. And you know who knows this better than anyone? Are the advertisers. So I want you the next week just to watch the commercials. What are they really selling? Community. The subtle implication of the commercial is if you will drink the right beer drive on the right tires and wear the right cologne, use the right razor, then all the cool people will want you at their party. Because if you know how to buy the right product, people will just want to be with you. You see, the with need is strong. And it's not wrong. But the way that we sometimes try to fill the with need is wrong. You see, the reason we have that need in the first place is because we're made in the image of God and God exists in community. Since eternity, God has only known withness. He exists in relationship. We're made in His image. So we're created relational beings. And the reason we sometimes make terrible relational choices is we're trying to find some answer for this strong, deep, with need that only God can fill. Because we were made for life with Him. And I think this is the tragic consequence of the fall that often gets overlooked. I know there are thorns in the ground. I know there's pain in childbearing. That wasn't the tragedy. The tragedy is we lost daily intimate life with God. Do you know what we were created for? We were created for a sinless world in a life in a garden where God would take walks with us. We would live daily with God. See, I know that God is above us. And I think ever since the fall, that's been our dominant thought about God. He is above us, which is true. But the problem is when we only think of God as above, we also start to think of God as away. And Christmas says God doesn't want to be known long distance. So at Bethlehem, God makes the statement, I want the with back. The name is not God was with us. God is with us. We sing joy to the world, the Lord is Come, And so I want to challenge you this next week. Maybe spend a little less time wrapping presents and a little more time unwrapping the meaning of His presence. We need to do what I call some withful thinking. I think it would bless us. For example, I think Christmas speaks to my struggle with a sense of worthlessness. Because ever since the fall, we have struggled with our sense of shame, our sense of insignificance. 
We are told constantly that we're simply evolved pond scum, that in the scope of the universe we're just molecularized dust and we mean nothing. But then Christmas shows up and some of our best theology shows up in our songs like Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. It is right to say that Jesus is the reason for the season. But I would contend that you are too. That Christmas is God's way of saying you are worth something. That Jesus came to save you from your sin and your shame because God said you are worth it. Think about this. The people that were invited to the birthday party of Jesus, most people would have said they were unworthy. Shepherds had such a bad reputation for honesty, they couldn't be used as a witness in court. They got invited. Magi were stargazers. The Old Testament says if an Israelite does that, you're supposed to put them to death. They got invited to the party. Check Jesus' genealogy. Almost every woman's name in it is associated with some kind of sexual scandal. Do you see what the Bible is saying? These are the kind of people God wants to be with. Back in the 1800s in the islands, all lepers were banished to the island of Molokai. And a brave young man named Joseph Damien went to be a missionary in Molokai. He was so loved by the people there because who would come to be a missionary to lepers? And so he's getting ready for his morning sermon. And he spills some hot water on his foot. And he notices he doesn't feel anything. And so he takes more hot water and pours it right on his foot. And he doesn't feel anything. He knows immediately what that means. You see, he would start every sermon with the words, my fellow believers. But that day, he started with the words, my fellow lepers. This is how much God wanted to be with us. He's willing to come into this world with all its filth and its muck and its sin. He's willing to take on himself that which has cursed us. Now think about this. If God isn't just above us, but he's with us, then doesn't that change everything about us? I'm not just sophisticated pond scum. If, if God wants to be with me, then suddenly every single moment of my life has worth. Because every moment has potential to be a sacred encounter with God. And so now it doesn't matter if I work at Walmart or on Wall Street. If I am with God, then what I'm doing matters. Because now this is a huge paradigm shift for us. Because in our performance-based culture, we give each other identity and worth based on what you do. But heaven says, you get your identity and worth 
because of who you do it with. And this is what people don't understand. It's what the elder brother didn't understand. Remember when the prodigal son came back and God throws him a party and the older boy is upset. I'm not going to that party. Listen to what he says. All these years I've been slaving for you. You hear what he's saying? You need to appreciate all I've done. What did the father say? You have always been with me. But now your brother has come home. The dad doesn't care about how much you've done. Dad never based his relationship with you on what you did, but who you did it with. God is just like grandma. He wants his kids back at the table. That's what he cares about. So think about this. If that's true, then suddenly everything I do matters. Because I'm doing it with the one who matters most. Seems to me that is a life worth living. It's amazing how the thought that God is with me helps me my struggle with worthlessness. It helps me second with my struggle with seasons of loneliness. Because Christmas can be a hard season for some of us, can it? This might be your first Christmas after the divorce. Your first Christmas since you buried your mate or your child. You might have a son or daughter serving in the mission field or in the military overseas. And this is your first Christmas with an empty spot at the table. And what you need to know is that the Christmas story understands. Think about Mary. Lifelong friendships got changed the minute people in Nazareth found out she was pregnant. Joseph is constantly having to pick up his family and move from one strange town to another strange country to save the life of his baby boy. Think about all those mamas in Bethlehem whose babies were murdered. Herod looking for the new child. See, Christmas understands loss and new surroundings and changing relationships. Christmas doesn't mean the end of relational pain. It means the beginning of understanding that God understands. Jesus knows loneliness. He knows what it's like to bury an adopted father. He knows what it's like to have people in your hometown curse you. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood by your own family. He knows what it's like to have a fickle crowd shout Hosanna one day and crucify him the next. He knows what it's like to have your best friends deny you. He knows what it's like to be forsaken by the Heavenly Father. Our minds are too small to wrap around what happened on the cross. When your sin and my sin was literally born in every legal sense by the sinless Son of God, 
He could only pray one prayer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we're too feeble to understand that for the first moment in eternity, the withness of the Godhead was severed. Jesus experienced withlessness with God. Why? So you would never have to. That's why. So you could believe the words of God in Hebrews 13 when God said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. My friend Chris Seedman said that when he preached in Pensacola, there was a woman there named Rhea, and she had a very serious battle with breast cancer that involved chemotherapy treatments that cost her all of her gorgeous, thick, blonde hair. And she came back from one of those difficult treatments, and when she walked into the living room, there was her husband sitting in the chair watching the news, and he was totally bald. He completely shaved his head. And before she could say a word, he just said, See, I just want you to know that I love you, and I am with you every step of the way. That's what God wants you to know. That's why Jesus would not leave the cross. Because he wanted you to know he would never leave you. Now if I believe that, that changes me. That kind of relational assurance gives me what I call missional insurance. Because God has asked us to do some pretty bold things, hadn't he? And the reason we can step out into the world is this confidence he's going to be with us. You ever notice Matthew ends like it starts? It starts God with us and it ends with Jesus saying, now you go into all the world. Matthew 28, I want you to teach and I want you to baptize. And in verse 20, how does the gospel end? Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, you've heard me say before, the single command in the Bible more than any other is, do not be afraid. God tells us that more than anything else. Don't be afraid. Why? Because fear accuses God of desertion. Think about that. When we are afraid, particularly... When we are afraid to step in the world and be and live and do what God wants us to be and live and do. We are saying in this moment, in this time in my life, what I'm facing is bigger than God. He's not around. And God takes that seriously. And that's why all through your Bible, when people are afraid, the way God answers is to remind them that he's there. And so when Paul experienced serious opposition to his missionary work in Acts 18, it says the Lord spoke to him in a vision. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. For I am with you. Isaiah 41 reads, Do not fear, for I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. I'm your God. I'll strengthen you and help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Over and over, the Bible says that fear leaves when we believe that God stays. In fact, think about one of the best-known lines 
from one of the best known songs in history. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And that's a good song because we know life is full of valleys. You see, there's one more way that that name blesses me. It helps me with my struggle with the reality of woundedness. I don't watch a lot of preaching on TV. Too many guys imply, if you'll just trust Jesus and send me some money, all your trouble will go away. And anybody that preaches that life with Jesus is going to take away all your pain hasn't even read about the life of Jesus that they preach. He had a life full of pain. God with us doesn't just mean Jesus is on our side when we hurt. God with us means Jesus has been there. That he understands suffering. That somehow he even enters into our suffering. That the one who is over it all somehow is also in the middle of it all with us. God with us does not mean all the pain is going to go away. But somehow we have leverage over the wound. Because his presence is sustaining us every step of the way. See, being a Christian does not mean you'll never experience pain. It means you're going to experience the Spirit of God in the pain. I believe that. I believe life is full of pain. I also believe that in the midst of it, there's something more full. I believe no matter what you're going through, no matter how deep that wound is, you can still experience the fullness of Christ. My friend Cam Huxford is a minister of a large Christian church in South Carolina, and I had the privilege a couple of years ago of hearing him tell about a trip he had recently taken to India. And he met there an evangelist that ministers in a part of that nation that is very hostile to Christianity. And the evangelist shared his story. That he was receiving pressure from some radical Hindus in the area to stop his ministry. One day they took the man and his wife out into the woods. They tied him to a tree. They took rods and told him if he didn't recant his faith and stop his preaching... They would beat him. He said, I can't do that. And so they kept their promise. They beat him till he was almost senseless while his wife had to watch. But he would not deny his Lord. So then they said, either you deny Jesus or we will rape your wife. And she screamed, don't you dare deny our Lord. Even as they molested her in front of his eyes. They left them there both unconscious in the woods. She woke up, untied him. They went to the authorities. The police did nothing. And the next Sunday, they are back at their little church talking about Jesus. 
And something amazing began to happen. The people in that community began to wonder how anybody could live with this kind of boldness and courage and decency after what they'd been through. And they started to check it out. The church began to grow to several hundred people. And Cam told us that story. And I was so inspired and encouraged and humbled by it. So I called him later to say, tell me again some details of that story. I want to share them with my church. He said, well, let me give you the update. The update is three of the men that attacked him and his wife were so convicted, they have now become followers of Jesus. In fact, one of the men is now one of the lead workers with the youth in that church. Now, in India, when you become a Christian... They ask you to pick a new name. The name he chose was Emmanuel. God is with us. You see, withful thinking produces a pretty powerful kind of living. And I think it's a foretaste of things to come. It's a bit of heaven coming to earth. And someday the Bible says it will all come. You know how the Bible finishes? Where's the Bible heading? Remember where we started? Life with God. We lost it. Jesus came to get it back. So how does our story end? Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. See, I understand now as an older man that Christmas is pointing to the ultimate with list. I don't need more sweaters and ties. I tell you what I want. I want a world without cancer and abandoned kids and divorce and cemeteries. That's what I want. And I realize now that the without world I want to live in required Jesus coming to the world I do live in. God with us came to Bethlehem pointing to us with God in the new Jerusalem. Charlie Duke was... uh, one of only 12 men to walk on the moon. Got a little footage here. He's also the only guy to ever fall down on the moon. <laughs> what do you do when you've walked on the moon? 
He came back. He was despondent. He and his wife were in a hard time, depressed. She was contemplating suicide. And somebody asked him to a Bible study. Listen to what he says. A friend of ours got us to go to a Bible study at a tennis club. And after that weekend, I said to Jesus, I said, I give you my life. And uh, if you're real, come into my life. And I believe. And, and he did. And I had, I, sense, I had this sense of peace that was, uh, that was uh, hard to describe. It was so dramatic that we started sharing our story. And I say my walk on the moon lasted three days, and it was a great adventure, but uh, my walk with God lasts forever. My walk with God lasts forever. And here's the good news. You don't have to wait for Jesus to come back to start that walk. You can have it now. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song. We're going to encourage each other. If you'd like to come and accept Christ right now and start that walk, you come as we worship.